Coming up, the number one fear in our world right now, and then a new study reveals what type of job leads to a lot of unhappiness, and then why workers that get promoted leave. Let's dive in. Helping you win at work so that you can win in the rest of your life. This is the Ken Coleman Show. I'm Ken. So do you ever feel like you're risking professional punishment? Career chaos if you share your opinions or views in the office? Does that ever hit you? Now, we've seen this a lot with celebrities. And and honestly, the stories are too many for me to list. But we've seen story after story after story after story after story of someone who's well-known take a position on a social issue, a political issue, which, by the way, they have every right to do because they're a human being, and yet because they're well-known and they get a lot of media coverage for it, well, you know what happens. They get canceled, which is a silly term, but it happens. Boycott it over an opinion on a political issue or social issue. So you'll lose endorsements, so forth and so on. And so that has trickled down to the office. I think because of this, we've seen this. We've seen public figures get skewered. I think one of the biggest fears we face today is the fear of being canceled and criticized. That's one of the biggest fears today being canceled and criticized. No one wants to be ostracized. No one wants that to happen, so we don't sit around going, well, I'd like to offend everybody today just because we believe something. Why is it that we're so afraid of being canceled? Or shall I say, criticized? Because we long to belong. Now, that does not make us weak, sniveling little humans. All of us humans want and should want to be connected with others and part of something bigger than ourselves. So when there is a threat that that could make us lose that, our own opinion, we're scared of it because belonging is good for our soul and for our survival. But in today's world, it's turned into an unhealthy desire. And what does that look like? Most people would rather be in the majority than do what's right. Now, what do I mean by that? Most people would rather be in the majority, just go along, don't say anything at all, say the group think message, because to not do so would be to risk and in some cases guarantee that we will be cut out, canceled, ostracized. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't think before we speak. We could all do that and do it better. But I do want you to understand that there are times where just normal speak, you are just being asked to share an opinion or um, or a conversation is happening you've been included in, that there will come a moment where you have to choose whether or not you're going to live with principle. Your principles, by the way, not their principles. Now, this is the big issue. If I live my life always in the majority, 
just to get along. I'm an empty shell of who I am. But if I decide to go, you know what, this is what I believe and why I believe it and how I'm going to live, it has consequences. So there's two things you need to ask yourself before you take a public stand on something. And let me say this before I go any further. I'm not saying you need to walk around taking a position on everything all the time. I said think before you speak. But here are two things you need to consider before you take a position or comment on something. Number one, do I need to take a stand on this publicly? Do I need to take a stand publicly? In other words, is this a principal moment where I'm being called out or I'm being pulled in? And if I don't take my stand, I am actively suppressing principle what I believe. That's one thing. Now, the other side of this is maybe you don't need to. Maybe this isn't that moment. This is not a principle moment. This is just an opportunity. There are priorities where we have to take a stand on principle. Then there are opportunities, and maybe this isn't a great opportunity. So maybe you just address it by how you live and you don't make a comment. No public statement required. Because here, listen, we all don't need to be public activists on every issue. Something about social media, guys, has gotten us to the point where we all go, well, I I should weigh into this. Should you? Let me give you an example. And I don't want to be unkind, so I'm not going to reveal the person, but somebody that I know very well who has a large social media following, this is a friend of mine. And uh, when the two or three days, this is two or three days after the initial Hamas tax on Israel, this guy goes on social media and he goes and he's all exhaling and running his hands through his hair. And I'm thinking to myself, is he okay? He's presenting as though he's like, just had a rough moment. He's going to tell us what happened. He then goes on to say, I, like you guys, have seen the news. There's a lot of horrible stuff going on in the world. And he's talking about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And he then goes, you know, there's not much I can do about it. I know you guys are wondering what I'm thinking. And I, there's not much I can do. And I'm going, no, nobody's wondering what you're thinking about. You are not a foreign policy expert, number one. Number two, when you say things like there's not much I can do about it, you're being ridiculous because there's nothing you can do about it. Save pray. Okay, I'll give you another one. You could donate maybe to Red Cross or something, some humanitarian. But come on. And I'm sitting there myself, and I'm not being unkind, but it's like that's what I'm talking about. We live in a day and age where, and again, I'm I'm suspect. This is a good guy. This guy's a great guy. He means well. But in this moment, he feels because of social media, not because he's a jerk. He's not a jerk. But he feels this pressure to go, well, I probably should weigh in on this because I haven't said it. No, you shouldn't. No, you could get on there and say, I'm praying for everybody affected, the innocent in this conflict that's thousands of years old. It's too complex. I'm not an expert, but I will pray for the people. and Let's all pray for the no innocent lives being lost. All right? Great. But can we just stop? Everybody commenting on everything all the time because we think we need to add something to it. No, you don't. It'd be better off if you didn't comment for a second, then come back. Number two, if you do need to take a public stand, ask yourself, what will the consequences be? Because I'm going to tell you something, there will be consequences of saying the right thing and saying the wrong thing. Sometimes we think, 
if I say the wrong thing, there's consequences. But can I tell you, in today's age, you could say the right thing and the consequences be actually more <laughs> negative than if you say the wrong thing. It's a crazy world we live in. So that question you must ask is, what's the likely outcome of you speaking up publicly? Think about the reactions. If you do have an audience, your fans, your stakeholders, stockholders, your family, your friends, your congregation, your customers. Yeah, think about this stuff. And then after you've thought about it, and you're fine with the consequences, then prepare for them. But if the consequences are too high, go back to the question that I proposed just moments ago. Do I need to make a public statement? And the answer is unequivocally no. If the stakes are too high, not worth the principle, there's your answer. It's not worth the consequences. Ask yourself what the personal, internal consequences will be if you don't speak out. Will you regret it? Will you feel that you've lost integrity? That's the flip side of all this. And when you do this, then you come to a conclusion about what you should do. Now, why this is important is because we live in a day and age where it is terrifying to take a stand. But sometimes the stand is silent, and sometimes the stand is vocal. Know the difference between when a stand is about the way I'm going to live versus the stand is what I'm going to say. Two very different stands that are applicable at two very different times. Make sure you know the difference because there's consequences to speaking out to not speaking out. Know the difference. This is the Ken Coleman Show. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, one way to win at work is to do work that you care deeply about. Like you actually give a crap about it. It's meaningful. But what do you do? How do you do that? Well, you got to dig. You got to figure out what is that? What is in my heart? So I ask people all the time, who are the people you really want to help? So you got to spend time on that. So how would you spend maybe an extra hour a day? Is it about reading a book, listening to a podcast like this or something else? Is it a new skill? Is it coffee with a mentor? Is it yoga? Maybe, maybe not. But can I make a suggestion? If this is about the heart and doing meaningful work, I think therapy can help you find what really matters to you. Your life, your life experience, environment you grew up in, pains, victories, that shapes your heart. And if you're thinking about therapy as, well, I just got to have something really bad going on in my life, I think you're missing it. I want you to try better help. Just try it. Therapy isn't just for people who are going through trauma. It's really great for awareness, self-awareness, to be able to build skills, to take that awareness and transfer it into work that really matters to you. And boy, will that change your life and your income. BetterHelp's awesome because they're flexible enough to fit your busy schedule. And it's all online. You fill out a short questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch at any time for no cost. Listen, folks, I do regular therapy. I can't endorse it enough. It's about awareness, and awareness is a superpower. So make time for what makes you happy. Use your time with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ken today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ken. 
Welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show. If you're enjoying the program, I would love your support in helping us grow the audience. You can do that by liking the video that you're watching on YouTube, subscribing to the channel, and sharing the video if you think it'll help uh, impact somebody. And then if you're listening via podcast, would you give us a follow, a five-star review, and share as well? All right. 85-year-old Harvard study that, by the way, I cite on the show all the time. If you've you've been with the show for a while, you've heard me talk about the longest study ever done on the power of relationships in our lives. This is the study. And they've been following people from birth to life. Uh, To death, excuse me. Hello. Birth is life. They've been following people from birth until they die, and it's fascinating. And so this 85-year-old Harvard study found that people with this type of job tend to be the unhappiest. What is the job? Guesses? Do you think you're in it? Well, it turns out it's not a specific job. It is the context of the job. Jobs that require little to no human interaction and do not offer opportunities to build meaningful relationships with coworkers tend to have the most miserable employees. Not a shock, is it? Should that be shocking to anybody? Tech-driven industries, as well as package and food delivery services, where people have no co-workers at all. Online retail is another example where work is very fast and furious, that even if you have teammates sitting in a cube next to you, there's no opportunity for interaction. We see this in a lot of manufacturing warehouse shifts, a lot of call centers, Think about customer service call center jobs. I mean, the phone's ringing all the time. They're on the phones all the time in their shift. When they're not on a call and if they're on a break, they're by themselves because everybody else is in the queue. And this is enormously stressful because you spend all day dealing with frustrated, impatient people and no outlet. No outlet. I don't know about you parents, but one of the most rewarding, and I think, I'm not even sure the word is rewarding, but probably one of the healthiest things that I've been able to have as I've been parenting is on some rough days, and you can have some rough days parenting where your kids just do stuff and say stuff and and act out and, you know, who knows what, and you're going, good gracious. It's so nice to have another parent to talk to, isn't it? Can you imagine trying to bottle all that up? We're not meant to do it that way. Recent studies have shown that as we get older, loneliness can increase our risk of death as much as smoking, obesity, and physical inactivity. So put loneliness on the list of eating in a very unhealthy way. I mean, we ought to take that pretty serious. This is an actual health risk to be lonely and and to not have connections. So what do we take away from this? Number one, we are built for relationships, first and foremost. The word, the root word of relationships is relate. Made to relate, to connect. And, and many times we, we have just thrown out the workplace as a, look, I'm not going to invest in any relationship. In fact, we see this on social media all the time. 
I've talked about this on the program before. They'll put it on social media, and people just come after me like crazy and say, there's no way. I don't want to be friends with the people I work with. Why? Why? The answer is, look, I'm there to work, and then when the work's done, I'm going home, and I'm going to be with my family. Totally agree with that. Didn't say you got to be going on vacation with your coworkers. I didn't say that you got to go to drinks with them every night after work. That's usually the extreme example that somebody who is disagreeing with my opinion on the importance of having a really good friend at work, they'll say that. Well, first of all, I didn't say that. That's not what I'm talking about. I think that's ridiculous. I think when you leave work, you ought to leave work at work. And if you want to socialize with some people at work every once in a while, fantastic. That's bonus. That's gravy. We're talking about in the workplace during the day. In the workplace. Looking for opportunities for social connections could be small. But it is amazing how restorative, that's a key word, to restore something. My mom and dad, when I was growing up, were always restoring antique furniture. It's unbelievable. My dad would come home with this chair, Alex, that looked like, you know, George Washington sat on it. I mean, it was so old and beat up. And I remember as a smart aleck teenager, you know, going, making some comment, you know, probably like that. What, did you bring home George Washington's throwaway chair? What in the world? Hope you didn't pay more than a buck for that. And my dad would usually say something like, well, actually, I paid about five bucks, but I'm going to turn around and flip it for a hundred. By the way, my dad was flipping antique furniture before it was cool on uh, HGTV or whatever those networks are. But here's what my, he would strip it. You get, you know, this awful smelling stuff that would strip whatever varnish was already on it. He would then sand it. And then he would restain it. And he turned it into this awesome chair. It looked like a brand new chair. And we had some of those around the house that we kept. And then he would sell them at a local flea market to make extra money. The word here is restore. And so I want you to hang on to this for a second because this is how vitally important I think relationships at work are. Say you're having a bad day or maybe you just had a bad moment, a bad meeting, whatever. You're stressed out, freaked out, you name it. You've had a bad situation. If you are so isolated relationally that there's no one in the office that you could connect with, you're carrying that for the rest of the day and who knows how much longer. Well, what if you've got a really good friend at the office? You go, hey, can we go for a walk outside real quick? Yeah, 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 sure. What's up? And you're able to talk to that good friend. Now, again, didn't say you're vacationing with him and his wife, okay? But you're able to just walk through some of this stuff and go, here's what I'm experiencing. Here's blah, 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 blah. And, and they just listen. And then if they're able to give you some insight, that's gravy. And, and all of that you walk away with just encouragement in general. I'll give you another scenario. Maybe you're not coming out of a really bad moment or experiencing a really horrible moment. Maybe you're just been going fast and furious and need a break. Now, this happens to me all the time in the office, and the team will tell you this. Um, I've got a putter and some golf balls in, in near my desk. I've got today I brought my pickleball paddle. I, I might bring it out in there and just play around. I just do. Sometimes I just play around and goof off. 
Uh, we've got a Nerf football up there. Sometimes we have a contest to see who can throw the ball the hardest and catch it. Why? Just a break, a mental break. You can do that when you're friendly with people. A five-minute catch-up could change your day. could change your health. But if you're in an environment where you're head down all the time and no relationships as a result, you are on an island, literally on an island. A 2022 report from Gallup shows that people who have a best friend at work are more productive, more engaged than those who don't, and as a result, they're happy at work and they stay longer as far as no turnover. A friend at work, a buddy, a BFF, a gal pal. I don't know what you want to call it. I don't care. You need a good friend at work because that will get you through some of the toughest times at work. You need that cheerleader. You need that ear. You need that pat on the back. This is the Ken Coleman Show. Recently on the show, I brought up the topic of why you should say no to your next promotion. And so now this is the flip side of the coin. Because it turns out that that promotion that I said to you, uh, the worker, hey, maybe you should say no the next time if you're not ready for it. Well, it turns out that uh, if you're a leader and you have been dangling a promotion and using a promotion as leaders have for ever that uh, it may have the opposite effect. This is fascinating because new analysis from ADP, they're big in the workspace, says that workers who get promoted are more likely to quit their jobs. And I remember when I saw this, I thought, huh? But it makes perfect sense. So the conventional wisdom is that promotions are a classic retention tool that helps people keeps people rather from jumping ship. Hey, I know you want to make more money. I know you want more responsibility. We'll give it to you here. And and the idea is we want to promote from within, keep good people. And again, a good it, it's not a bad strategy. It's just there's a flip side to this. So ADP research, researchers looked at data from 1.2 million workers at companies with a minimum of 1,000 employees. So very, very robust sample here. They found that 29% of workers leave within the first month of a promotion. If those workers had not been promoted, only 18% would have left. So here's a key number, a key, divide, a key dividing line. Six months after the promotion, the risk narrows. The risk of them leaving. And after the six-month mark, those that were unpromoted are more likely to leave. Just barely, but more likely. So this is really interesting. So a promotion in a new job title makes a worker more desirable to an outside company because, hey, you're just coming fresh off a promotion or now you've got a title and some income, it puts you in a different job bracket, if you want to call it that. 
And it also increases the worker's confidence. So they end up looking elsewhere. Now we're going to get to the solution to this, but this is just kind of setting up the, the, the problem, if you will, of what's happening. Lower skill workers were nearly six times more likely to leave their job in the first month after a promotion than if they hadn't gotten the boost. We're not seeing this as much with higher skilled workers. So many times top performers are on the cusp of advancement and they were already a heightened flight risk, meaning they were looking because they hadn't been promoted for a while. And so what happens is the leader waits too long to promote. By this time, they've already looked and they found other things or they've kind of gotten enough courage to go, I know I don't want to be here and, and now I know that I can go. So in essence, the promotion becomes too little too late. Now, one big flight risk is the worker who gets promoted into management. And I've talked about this. Now the data is backing me up. I've been saying this on the program, that the quickest way to lose people sometimes is to, is to promote them to a position they don't want. Get somebody who's killing it in sales, and then you go, well, it's time for you to be a sales leader because we want to keep you. And this data says that taking the salesman and promoting the salesman into a leadership role when they don't want it is not a way of keeping them. It's a way of pushing them out the door. Because the skill set, so the talent, the enjoyment, the passion between a salesperson and a sales leader are very different. And that's what I've said a million times on the show. Because a good salesperson, I'm going to tell you this, they're driven by two things. They're driven by selling the solution. They're providing a solution that just kind of makes a person happy and they get a they get a nice charge out of that. But salespeople are also driven by performance. They love throwing up a number on the scoreboard. So you take that salesperson that's motivated by those two things and you move them into a management role. And in this example, we'll say that the management role is not direct selling anymore. So they lose that winner's high, if you will, because they didn't close a deal that served a client through the product or service that is the solution, and they get that, ah, I helped somebody. I got them something they needed. They also lose out on the scoreboard moment. Touchdown, three-pointer, slam dunk. You pick your sports analogy. Hit a home run. They lose that. And there's a huge difference between experiencing that as an individual and experiencing that secondhand as a manager. Now, some people like both. Some people go, you know what? I love the high as an individual winner. I love serving people with a solution. But I also love leading a team and dealing with the people problems. Some people love both and they move right into it seamlessly. But some people don't. And so in this scenario, when that happens, if you move a salesperson into a sales leader role and it doesn't give them the same juice, guess what? You just promoted someone into leaving. 
That's the idea. And, and so leaders have got to understand that. Let me also say, those of you who may be facing a promotion, meaning it's coming your way, you got to ask yourself, does this promotion, will it give me the juice that I get right now that I crave? Can I adapt? If you can, great. If you can't, own it. Because, again, I said this before on the show I did recently that you, reasons why you should say no to your next promotion, it, that teaching comes right back into this article in the study. Not every promotion is worthwhile. But to employers, they've long held that out as the carrot to dangle as a great retention tool. And it still can be. But now it's about customizing the promotion. There are multiple ways to reward somebody without giving them a new title and a new job. Heck, give them the title. Don't give them a new job. Give them a little more money. Don't give them a new job. These are honest conversations that leaders and you, employees, need to be having. How can you reward me, and I really want to be rewarded, without me pulling up stakes into something that I really, really enjoy. And so the irony here is the age-old, most obvious retention strategy is the promotion. But the numbers here say that a promotion many times is pushing someone out the door. So it's a catch-22. So what do leaders do? What do you do? Okay, I talked to what you need to do. You need to be able to assess, all right, is this next gig that I'm being offered, if I compare it to where I am now, is it truly going to make me happier? Is it going to make me stand a little taller? But then I'm going to get over the raise, over the title, and I'm going to go, oh, I can't stand the work. This happened in the Great Resignation. It was then called the Great Regret, where millions of people took a job, got there, it was like, this is not better, and they wanted to go back. They created another category of phrase for that called the boomerang employees. So leaders, that's what you do as the worker, but leaders, listen, you've got to start asking yourself, do I know what makes my team tick? High level. Do I know, I mean, really know what they're good at? That's talent. This is my basic methodology. Leaders, you can use this. Do I know the work that they enjoy? Do I know what motivates them? What motivates them, not what I do to try to motivate them. What motivates them? You've got to start there. Now, the knowledge of those three categories or those three questions, do I know what they're good at? Do I know what they enjoy? Do I know what results motivate them? When you know that, then you go, okay, I've got to use that information and I've got to promote based on that. And if I'm not promoting them into doing more of the work they're really good at, if I'm not promoting them into more, doing more, meaning a percentage of their day, let's say they're 50%, if I'm not promoting them into 75% of work they really look forward to, they work, they enjoy, they get lost in it, it's a bad idea. If, if I am not promoting them into a role where they get to produce more of the results that naturally motivate them, this is not a good fit. So let me just tell you, here's the reason why I share this. 
Number one, I don't want you to get promoted into something that you don't love. Number two, if you're a leader, I don't want you to promote somebody into leaving you. And then number three, we've got to circumvent the standard, the status quo, which is just promote, promote, promote. And we got to change it because we're wrecking people that are otherwise happy. It's really interesting stuff. Promotion is not always the right thing to do. Good stuff there. All right. Don't forget, you matter. You have what it takes. Press on. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman. 